greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the first in a series of videos that I'm doing at the direction of the Holy Ghost. This is being entitled, Call to War 2020, Briefing Number One. Four years ago, on March the 29th, the Lord spoke to me to call the church to prayer because of the urgency of the hour. My first response was to laugh and say, me, you want me to do that? I don't have any platform from which to call the church to pray. He said he wanted a round-the-world 24-hour prayer chain uh, for the last week of October of 2016. Uh, and I told him I wouldn't even have any idea how to do that. And he said, you do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it, and I will do it. You won't be doing it. I will do it. And so I did that. I made uh, each one being that each one of the videos I did in 2016 was a surprise to me that there was something following it. But uh, I did a total of 20, uh, 14 uh, Call to War 2016 video briefings. I did not ever expect to do this again, quite frankly. But for months now, the Lord has been dealing with me to uh, use whatever influence he's given me, whatever voice he's given me, to let to be a conduit for him to call the church to prayer again in 2020. Whatever urgency I felt in 2016 is so dwarfed by the urgency I feel in the spirit right now today uh, that it's almost not even comparable. I thought I felt a strong urgency in 2016, and I did feel urgency, but it is nothing compared to the urgency that I've been feeling for months and I'm feeling today. And I have no idea how many video briefings will be done. I do know this is the first of a few, at least. The Lord has given me some very specific things to talk to the church about. The, the hope is that the church has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I do not come to you from a place of ecclesiastical office. I do not come to you from a place of elected office. I, I come to you as a brother in Christ who loves God, loves truth, and loves the church and wants to see the church become all that God ordained for it to be. The types and foreshadows of the church throughout the Old Testament and in the Gospels, uh, there's one specific uh, characteristic or identifying trait of the church that is common through all of prophecy and was common through the writings of the of the apostles in the epistles and in the book of Revelation, and is common in what the Holy Ghost is saying to the church today. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He was not talking about a building that we call traditionally a church building. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and that 
We are a habitation of God through the Spirit. The church of the living God, the body of Christ and the earth, is the habitation of God through the Spirit. And that house is to be called a house of prayer. Prayer should be the first and foremost priority of any part of the body that calls itself a part of the body of Christ. Prayer is the most supernatural thing that we can do or ever will do in the earth as a part of Christ and Him as a part of us. This is so critical to us today. There are things that are taking place in the earth that are so far from what God planned for man to be and for the earth to be. And his blessing is not upon it. But it is running rampant in the earth. I've had uh, uh, concerned people say to me, why? And I've read uh, people say, why is it the church on the street corner with signs and placards and demonstration? Why should the church do that? That's what the world does. That's the best they have is nothing but a voice on a street someplace or a voice in a, in a, in a place of, a, of elected officials gathering to do natural business. Why would the church stoop to do that when we have an invitation to appear before the Almighty God in the throne room of heaven to plead the cause of the Word of God, of the will of God, and of the people of God and of the lost of this earth before the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, What an invitation. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word uh, in the Greek translated to help is actually a noun and not a verb. It is not grace to help. It is grace help in the appropriate time, in the time when we need it the most. And I am saying to you in the Holy Ghost today, it's just a, just a, 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 a vessel of clay, just an earthen vessel that God indwells and that God chooses to use at times as his conduit, like he does many, many other people that will give him the opportunity. I come to you today to allow the Holy Ghost to speak through me to say, it is time for the church not to storm the streets, not to storm the halls of, of uh, elected officials and the offices of elected officials, but it's time for the church of the living God to come boldly at the invitation of God to come boldly into the throne room and, and, and be used of God to plead the cause of his people in the earth. Paul said in Romans, likewise, chapter 8, verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What is our infirmities as human beings? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Prayer cannot be ritualistic. Prayer cannot just be a matter of discipline. 
Prayer cannot be a matter of tradition. Prayer is first and foremost built upon a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then prayer is an opportunity for us to be God's conduit in the earth. That we might pray for those things that should come to pass. And that we might speak the things as he prompts us in the earth. How do we get to that? We get that by coming boldly before the throne of grace. That uh, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need in this time because the spirit says we don't know what we should pray for as we ought make all the lists you want come up with all the prayer rituals you want the bible says you and i don't know how to pray on our own but the spirit itself when the spirit is the lord and he's the lord of our lives and when we are governed by the spirit of god and we are yielded to the spirit of god the spirit of god will make intercessions uh, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, the, the Bible in basic, basic English says in a basic, uh, essentially this way, that it, the, he, the Spirit will empower us to put into words those things that we're feeling that we don't know how to express. And whether he says that to us, through us, in the, by inspiring the language of our mind to be spoken under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, or whether he said, prays that through us when we're praying in other tongues and the Spirit is doing the praying, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. And then the next verse says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh, he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. My friend, my brother, my sister, I plead with you to meet me and the rest of the body of Christ that will at the throne of grace daily weekly, monthly, and then also in some very specially called prayer times that God's Spirit may use us to pray for the things in the earth that need to be prayed for. We have this promise from God. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, the last half of that verse says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When Jesus said, uh, the first time the church was ever mentioned in the Bible in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It is really important that you and I would know this, that the word translated avail in, uh, in James chapter 5 verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much is the exact same Greek word that's translated prevail and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What is that telling us? The reason the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church is because the effectual fervent prayer of righteous people, people that walk with God, that walk in faith, submitted to God, that have not his righteousness, not of their own righteousness, but they're covered with his righteousness. Righteousness, and they walk in his holiness and they walk in relationship with him. Their prayers shall prevail or avail much. My friend, you and I must understand. We must understand that people are not our enemies. People and what they say are not our enemies. Political parties are not our enemies. Governments are not our enemies. Laws are not our enemies. 
Paul said in, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We must pray. God has called the church to pray. We must pray. But not just pray our devotional prayers every day. Not just pray our prayers that assure that we're still saved every day. Our prayers of repentance. Not just prayers of obedience. But prayers of submission. Prayers of ministry. Because we're conduits for those things that God wants us to pray for. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 verse 19. Uh, Behold, I give you power. In the Greek word, there's not dunamis, but exousia, which is authority. I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. The church must be on the offensive. The church must stop being on the defensive. There's one place and one place uh, above all else where the church must be on the offensive, and that is in prayer. That is in prayer. We have accepted far too many things in this earth that are not the will of God because we don't pray for the will of God to be done in the earth as we've been instructed to pray. We must, we, we need a revelation of the place of the church in God's plan in the earth. I read to you from Ephesians chapter one, beginning with verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of, of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. And then he tells us how great that power is. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. That's the word Exousia, authorities, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. Or can I say it this way? Not just in the world which is to come like we think, but in this world right now, God has given us this kind of authority. This is who we are in Christ right now. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Wait, wait, wait just a minute. If the church is his body, are the feet attached to the sides of his head? No, the feet are attached to the body. And he, Christ has been raised up from the dead and then ascended on high. And he has been sat down on the throne of the universe as the visible representation of the, of God the Father forever. As the visible representation of the infinite I am God forever. 
And he is sitting on that throne today, ruling over the universe. But he left his body here on the earth. The head of the body is already in eternity. But the, but the rest of the body is still on the, on the earth here to do the work of God in the earth. We have turned the church into an institution. The institutionalized church is, it, it, it is without power. It is not doing the will of God. Because we, we, we've made it into a religion instead of it being a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he called us the bride and him the groom, that's relationship. But what about this relationship? He called us his body and he's the head. Is it there supposed to be a relationship between the head and the body? If the body's alive, it can only be alive because it's in, in, in relationship, connection with, and under the, uh, the oversight of the head of the body. But is the body doing what the head wants it to do? Is the body fulfilling the purpose that the head has for it in the earth? He has promised us that he is already over all principality and powers, authorities, and might and dominion and every name that is named in this world, this present world, not just in the world to come, but in this present cut world, then why aren't we seeing that? The church is not called to rule the earth and government. That's coming in the millennial reign of Christ. That's not what we're here for. We're not to, to run governments and we're not here to, 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 to overpower people and to violate their will. But we are here to, uh, to pray for the will of God to be done, for the kingdom of God to, to come and manifest the earth, for the name of Jesus to be manifested and not, and not profaned in the earth, to be sanctified in the earth. It is the will of God for the, for the, it is the will of God according to the word of God for the will of God to be done in his earth, in the earth. It's not his will that any should perish. How many people have we given up on saying there's no hope? When the word of God says it's not his will that any should perish. And he taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) So my question to you, friend, is this. Why aren't we praying that? And why aren't we believing that there is the potential for every single soul on the earth to be saved if the church will pray? Now, is everybody going to be saved? No, they're not. But shouldn't we pray that every individual on the earth would at least have the opportunity to be saved? How can they know to be saved if they don't even know who God is? If they don't even know what the Word of God says? If they're blind, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse uh, uh, uh Four, if our gospel be hid and is hid to them that are lost, that's verse three actually. If our gospel be hid that him that it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. Paul also said it in Ephesians chapter two, in this exact same direction, and you had the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. The dead can't save themselves. The dead can't see anything. They can't hear anything that's truth. 
How, why are they dead? Wherein in time past ye according, excuse me, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse two. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. What is their disobedience? They're doing their own will and not the will of God. Verse three. Speaking of us, Paul said, among whom also we all had our conversation or our, the Greek word, there's literally lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind or the will of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even, even as others. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in, <coughs> in whom the God of this world the God of this world hath blinded the minds that they they might believe so that they believe not. Who's going to pray that darkness off of them? Who's going to pray them out of darkness? Who's going to pray for their light, their eyes to be opened? If you don't believe this is really the call that we have in the earth, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. How does he follow Christ? Well, let's... Let's see his most detailed account of his first encounter with Christ in Acts chapter 26, beginning with verse 14. Let's see how he followed Christ. And let's see if we're following Christ like that. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted persecutest, but arise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. For what? To do what? To open their eyes. To see, pray and see their eyes open. Why? So that they would, and to turn them from darkness to light. The word turn there means to be converted, to change. It's a synonym of repent, change of mind, to change the direction, to turn them from darkness to light and from the word, and from is connected to the last verb and to turn them from the power of Satan unto God. Why? That they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. How do I know I have an inheritance? Ephesians chapter 1 says <clears throat> that the, the, the Holy Ghost is the earnest of our inheritance. So by receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that is my assurance that I have an inheritance. The Greek word translated here, forgiveness, may receive forgiveness of sins, is the same exact Greek word translated remission of sins. And how did Peter tell the people on the, on the birthday of the church how to receive remission or forgiveness of sins? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Or the Greek word also is, for, is the same word for forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul was called by the Holy Ghost, by the Lord Jesus Christ, visibly in a vision. He saw him standing there and heard his audible voice. And then Paul tells us to follow him as he follows Christ. My friend, 
Paul was called to do this. And Paul called, said that the Holy Ghost said we were called to do this. And then in Ephesians 1, as I've, as I've already read unto you, he's already said what the church is in the earth. The church is his body. He is the head of the body. And he's put all things under his feet. But my friend, what happens if we're not exercising that? What happens if we're not doing that? What happens if we're not obeying God? What happens if we're not doing the will of God? What happens if the Lord is not ruling and reigning in our lives? What happens if we're not yielded to God? Then is it, then is it working? <clears throat> Here's what we face today. And this is so critical. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse five. Here's why we need to pray. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. There is an anti-God, anti-law, anti-will of God anti-submission to the Spirit of God, uh, spirit that is working in our earth, in our world today. It's working in our world today. The Scripture says, that equates this, this man of sin, this, uh, this manifestation of Lucifer in human body called the Antichrist, equates the spirit that's working to set him up. The spirit that's already working in the earth. He calls it the spirit of iniquity. Just what is that? Oh, I know some say it's wickedness and others say it's lawlessness. No. Just like grace is not just unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is the motive behind grace. According to Philippians 2.13, it is the grace of God. God at work in us both to enable us to will and to enable us to do of those things that please him. Yes, it's unmerited favor. I can't earn it and I can't deserve it. So it is with other words in the scripture like, like uh, uh, iniquity. To say iniquity is lawlessness or to say that iniquity is wickedness, those are the products of what the spirit of iniquity is. Where did iniquity come from? According to Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15, Scripture says, and I'm quoting now, hopefully uh, word for word, but close. Uh, for thou was perfect in all thy ways. From the time you were created, you were perfect in all your ways until iniquity was found in you. From the time you were created, this is not speaking of a human being who was born. It's speaking of an angel that was created. The only human that was created was Adam and Eve. They're the only humans that were created. All other humans were born. Even the man Christ Jesus was born. He wasn't created. So if you read the context of Ezekiel 28, 
you'll see that uh, it's speaking of Lucifer. It's speaking of the Antichrist. And what was his sin? Iniquity. And what was it he wanted to do? He wanted to be like God. And what was it about what God did that he wanted to be like? Well, he knew God was infinite. He knew he was finite. He knew he, he as a finite being couldn't be uh, on the dimension of God, the infinite God. But what was it he wanted to be like? God made all the decisions. And Lucifer and all the angels and all of creation did whatever God said. They did the will of God. Well, he decided he wanted to make his own decisions. He didn't want to do the will of the Father. He wanted to do his own will. Isn't that exactly the appeal he made to Eve and then her to Adam? Uh, God's trying to tell you you can't do this, but he's just trying to deprive you. Here, you do your will, not God's will. You do your will, not God's will. Iniquity has been at the root of all sin from the beginning. Now, uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse uh, 21, we'll let Jesus define iniquity for us once and for all. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus defines iniquity for us right here. He said, the saved are those that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Those that I reject, no matter how much they think they're a part of me, even though they may have a supernaturally anointed ministry with signs and wonders, even though they call him Lord, if they do not do his will, if they do not do his will, do not do the will of the Father, then they are workers of iniquity. By Jesus' own definition, a worker of iniquity is someone that does their own will and not the Father's. Oh, but here's the challenge. These people, what did they say? They prophesied. They cast out devils. They did many wonderful works. In the Greek, there's literally... Uh, they did many supernatural miracles. Now, nobody can do those things of themselves. True miracles cannot be done by yourself. So what did this mean? These were people that did the will of God for ministry, but made their own decisions, lived by their own will the rest of the time. They prayed for what they wanted to. Give me this, do this, Father, whatever. They, they called it asking, but that's not what they were doing. Because in the garden, Jesus asked, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he proved what his spirit really was. The man Christ Jesus did by praying, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But too many people think that the purpose of prayer is to get God to give them what they want, to do what they want, to prevent what they don't like, to change and fix what they're unhappy with. 
They think the purpose of prayer is to persuade God to make this heaven on earth for them. That's what they pray for. Those are prayers of iniquity because they pray for their own will and not God's will. Now, the problem is Jesus said, I'm going to profess. And that's the same Greek word translated as confess in other places. I'm going to confess or profess. uh, I never knew you. Now, God knows everything. So he obviously knew them. But what does that Greek word mean? I never knew you in an approved relationship with me. And what does it take to be approved of by God? Not mighty works, not mighty deeds, not hours of prayer, not days and days of fasting, not being an expert in the Bible. What it takes to be approved of by God is to seek for, find, know, and do the will of the Father every day, all day, every day. Now, Do I know anybody that does that perfectly? Not me. I know some really great people of God. But I don't know anybody that does that perfectly. And I'll be the first in line to say, I don't do that perfectly every day. I want to. I desire to. It's it's the desire God has given me to do that because the Word of God says I want to do that. But most days I end up having to pray something along this line. Father, I confess my iniquities today. What is that? It may be harmless. It may be something that is in and of itself is not sin. It, it may be things that are the will of God as other times, but it wasn't that will, it wasn't his will today. But I did it because I willed. It's iniquity. Well, the problem is iniquity is the foundation of and the root cause of everything we call sin. It's everything. It, it, it causes everything because once I start doing what I want, I'm going to do other things that my flesh wants. So that's how I pray. That's how I pray. So my point to you is this, dear ones. <laughs> what do we? What What does God do when he he went to the trouble of becoming a man? Because he he himself is the only one capable of limiting himself, and he did limit himself. He limited himself to not do anything in this earth except through humans. What did he say to the first humans he created? He gave them dominion over the earth, to rule over the earth. He gave man authority over the earth. Now, of course, man forfeited that dominion when he when he sinned. And when the adversary was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Because these kingdoms, the authority of these kingdoms was delivered unto me. And if you'll look up the Greek word deliver there, it means they, I won them in battle. They are the spoils of war. The, the, the authority over these kingdoms, the authority over the earth is the spoils of the war. That's why Satan is called the God of this world. When God designed man to be his conduit for ruling over the earth. And when the first Adam failed, then he, he became the second Adam. And you and I is the body of a part of the body of Christ is a part of the body of the second Adam. And the second Adam is called to have dominion in the earth. 
Not over governments. Not now. All of that's going to be in the millennial kingdom. But in the spirit world, it is the will of God for the church to have dominion. Behold, I give you authority, Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any, by any means hurt you. That's why the, why the armor of God is intended to protect the one on the attack, not on the one on the defensive. So my question to you, friend, is this. When he said to the Thessalonians, Verse 2 Thessalonians 2, verse uh, 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. First of all, in the Greek, it's not the adversary's time. It's not the adversary's right to determine the time. That time is in God's hands, and he's the one holding back the adversary from doing that. The Greek word translated withholdest in verse 6 is the exact same Greek word that's translated let in verse 7. And if you look up that word, you'll find that it means to restrain. Satan has no restraint. He's not restraining himself. In the plan of God, it was the will of God for the church to pray so that the Spirit of God working through the church in the earth could be that which restrains the Antichrist until God's time for him to be revealed. Now, can the Antichrist be revealed while the body of Christ is still on the earth? I don't think so. Because first of all, how is God restraining? According to his plan, his restraint was going to be by the church praying that restraint. And I don't have the time in this lesson or this briefing to cover all the scriptures that clearly indicate the Lord expects the church to be praying prayers of dominion, prayers of authority, to hold back the spirit of iniquity. It can't, it, it can't happen. It's not going to happen. So, the church of the living God is the one that is supposed to pray the prayers of restraint. How do I know that? Well, here's just one place. I can't help myself. One more place. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was preparing a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. Now, here's the first part of what he taught us to pray. What, is some verbiage? Is some magical formula just to repeat as vain repetition? Or was he teaching us to pray about these things and, and a context from which we are to pray about them? In fact, he said, when you pray, say. That word say is in the imperative tense of command. Our Father which art in heaven, acknowledging that it's God. Our Father is manifested to the universe because he's in the body of the man Christ Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven right now, according to Ephesians chapter 1. So we are praying to the, to the, to the God of the universe and the God in whom the universe is. We're praying to him and what we're doing. Hallowed be thy name. That's a command. Sanctify your name. Thy kingdom come. 
that your kingdom would become in a manifestation. Thy will be done as it is in heaven, so in earth. As you study here and also in Matthew 6, this is what you'll see here. That what he's actually saying is, as the will of God is already purposed in heaven, let it be, let it come to be or come to pass or let it prevail in the earth. That's what we're supposed to be praying. You say, why does God need us to pray that? Because that's what he decided for us to do. That was his decision. That's the way he wanted it done. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's called us to do. But what if we're not doing that? What if the reason we're not doing that is because we work iniquity? Oh, we go to church. We uh, pay our tithes. We live a separated life. We obey the pastor, and surely that's enough, right? No. (laughs) This may be a shock to you, but the, the, the creator God of heaven and earth thinks that he has a right to tell you what's best for your life every moment of the day. Well, I don't like that. Fine. That's the spirit of iniquity. You don't like it? That's the spirit of, I'm not trying to be unkind here. I've had to confront this in my own life. I don't like that. Why? Because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I'm giving you your due, God. I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithes. I I pray a little bit every day. I read my Bible a little bit every day. But the rest of the time, I want to run my own life. Iniquity. And why is it that the church is not standing with the Lord to pray the prayers that would loose his name to be manifested so that it would be honored and not blasphemed, so his kingdom would come in manifestation and demonstration and prove that he is Lord over all and that his will, as it's already purposed in heaven, would prevail in the earth because it's not his will, First, Second Peter 3, 9, that any should perish. And Titus 3 says, it's the will of God for all men to be saved. Now, Again, we know that men don't have to do the will of God on the earth. During this period called time, it's your choice and my choice. But what happens when I'm making choices that he's already said what the negative outcome of that's going to be? What happens? What happens to you and me when that's the case? What happens when we don't do his will? Well, first of all, not doing his will is disobedience. And the book of Revelation clearly states that the disobedient are not going to heaven. Disobedience is sin, but it's more than sin, it's iniquity. One of my one of the verses that's most comforting me is Psalms 32 1. And and King James says in Psalms 32 1, uh, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. But when Paul was quoting that verse in reference to Abraham in Romans 4, this is how it's said in the New Testament. Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sin is covered. When David prayed in Psalms 51, he prayed that God would deliver him and forgive him of all of his iniquities. He prayed that. He prayed that. When Jesus said, that we are to confess 
1 John chapter 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what does the word confess mean? It, I, this, I'm not a Greek scholar, and this is a, probably a botched pronunciation, but the Greek word is homologio. It comes from, from two Greek words that mean to, uh, uh, to the same as, and logio is to speak, but it's from the root word logos. So I'm confessing that I agree with the logos, the word of God, that sin, Lord. I'm agreeing. My, my will did it. My will wanted to do it, but I agree it was sin. And he said, if I would do that, he would forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Here's the problem, my brothers and sisters. Sisters, we need a revival. We need a revival. Revival and harvest are not the same thing. Revival is not for sinners being saved. Revival is for the church to get saved. Those that are sitting backslidden on our seats because the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways, filled with his own doing his own will. There's people in our seats that need to be need to be need to be saved because they're living by their own will, their own way. And then those backsliders that left because of iniquity, they wanted to do their own thing, their own way. We need to pray. We need to pray for revival. But we can't pray for them and effectively, and we can't pray the prayers of authority against the spirit of iniquity working in this earth when we're participating in iniquity, doing our own will. Some of the time. Well, it's just some of the time. Really, that's okay? So it would be okay for your wife or husband to be unfaithful some of the time, as long as they came home? That's okay with you? If they're not committed to their vow to you and your vow to them, to keep themselves for you only for so long as they both should live, that's okay? Well, if you're not putting up, with, why should God? When he says, when we're doing iniquity, it's adultery. We're fellowshipping with some other God, some other authority, some other power some other word, some other will than his. We need revival. So the first thing we need to do as a church is we need to begin to pray and have revival and to truly, truly pray and ask God to not just forgive us, but grant us repentance, which is change. No change, no repentance. No change, no repentance. I don't want to just be forgiven of my sins. I want to change. I want to be granted repentance. I want to not be a worker of iniquity, but I want to do his will. John 5.30, Jesus said the son can do nothing of himself, but he came to do the father's will and not his own. That's not a quote, but that's a paraphrase. That's what he came to do. He called us to do the will of his father. Just like he set the example for us to do the will of his father. Is this easy? No. Because even at the end of his life, after Jesus had spent his life seeking for and doing the will of his father, flesh was still flesh, and he still had to pray against the will of the flesh. No matter what kind of noble motives we may put on his prayer, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He still prayed to not have to do the will of God. And yet, He surrendered to the will of God. So I may have a day-to-day struggle with it. The issue is not the struggle. 
The issue is, have I let him give me victory? It is the will of God, my friend, for the church of the living God to come to a place where we repent and walk in his spirit. We need to repent and walk in his spirit. We need to walk in the spirit. We need to live in the spirit. And Paul said in Romans 8 that if we mind the things of the flesh, we're carnal. But to be spiritual, we've got to mind the things of the spirit. So the question is, are we going to do the will of God? Or are we going to do the will of flesh? If I, if I live after the flesh, Paul said in Romans 8, 13, I'll die. But if I live after the spirit, minding the spirit, the word mind there means to hear and obey the spirit, uh, I'll live. Because it says, for the sons of God are those who are led by the spirit of God. The sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God, submitted to, obedient to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need to pray, my friend, my brother, my sister. We need to pray. We need to pray individually. We need to pray as churches. We need to pray as the church. We need to get positioned in God where we are submitted to Him and His authority so that we can then be conduits for Him and His authority to speak through us in prayer, so that prayer might prevail. We're not, we, we, we have no interest in taking over governments. We have no interest in forcing anybody against their will to do the will of God. But we are interested in people being free enough to at least see what they need to do and have the ability to make a choice whether or not they want to be saved. So at least that way, they're not a victim of blindness. They're not a victim of the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, but they are free enough to make a decision. Brother T.W. Barnes, a great prophet of God, said many times before he passed in this life, the lost can't even decide whether or not they want to be saved till somebody prays the spirit of blindness off of them. If I'm walking in my own will, even though I've been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and go to church faithfully and pay my tithes and whatever, if I'm walking after my own will, then I'm in blindness myself. I'm a worker of iniquity. I need to repent so that I can be in the place with God that he can use me to pray this blindness off of others. We all want to see a great influx of sinners being saved. That's the promise. That's the hope. That's the faith. But you can't do that on a foundation. Live by the church, that foundation of iniquity. It can't be done. And the proof, when the church begins to repent and do the will of God every day as he's called us to do, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays or Thursdays, but to do the will of God every day. And we pray, like he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When the church begins to do the will of God and then praise in the will of God, exercising the authority of God in the earth, then we will have revival. And the proof of revival is when backsliders start coming home. The backsliders on the seat get dedicated, pray through and get dedicated. And the ones that aren't on the seats 
pray through and come back and are restored to the body of Christ. That is the foundation for any harvest. You do not want to have a harvest built on the foundation of an unrevived church's spirituality or lack thereof. So we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. The Holy Ghost has instructed me to ask that there be at least one day a month of prayer of focused prayer for every church, that we would have at least one day of prayer a month where we have a round-the-clock prayer chain and we pray and we fast that day. And sometimes we need to do that as districts and sometimes we need to do that as a whole body of Christ, whenever that would be. These things are going to be happening. There's going to be more instructions come. But the other thing he asked me to ask the church to do, those that would around the world, that starting on the 1st of October through the 3rd of November, that we would, every one of us would have at least one day uh, for in our local churches where we would have around-the-clock prayer and fast that day. And some churches may do that at least once a week through, during that period of time. And then the October 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th, uh, we're going to have Call the War. I'm asking that unless God specifically tells you to come to Annapolis, you do not come to Annapolis, that you stay home and pray with us every evening during evening time at your church and that we pray together. We will stream directed prayer those four nights from here, and you're welcome to participate with it or not participate with it. It doesn't matter to me which one it is as long as we're all praying. I'll give you more details on that as we go along through this, as the Holy Ghost gives them to me and has given them to me. But I am begging you today, be the body of Christ in the earth. Let the Holy Ghost use you to restrain the spirit of iniquity in this earth, not by protests, not by trying to get laws passed, but by prayer, not 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 victim, a uh, victimized prayer, not defeated prayer, not defensive prayer, but offensive prayer in the spirit. He has promised us victory, but he's not going to give victory to those that don't fight in the spirit, in prayer. We don't have to advertise this to people. The world doesn't have to know we we're doing it. That's not the point. They don't even believe in it anyway. But the point is that we are praying and God is listening and he will work. He will work if we will let him. He will work through us. And the number one way for him to work through us is in prayer. If we do not pray, if we do not pray, he will not work. Because if we do not pray, we are living lives of iniquity. No matter how religious we are, we are living our lives outside of the Father's will. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of the love of God, the spirit of the righteousness of God, the spirit of the grace of God, the spirit of the mercy of God. I loose that upon us as the body of Christ, that it we might be empowered by the word of God, the spirit of God, as the grace of God working in us, that we might have the spirit of prayer and the spirit of supplication, the spirit of intercessory warfare and the spirit of intercessory travail, that we might pray that God might work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. 
Thank you for taking the time to watch this. In Jesus' name, I love you. 